Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And following on from last week's episode, this week we'll be talking about the RIBA work stages 0 to 3, and next week we will cover stages 4 to 7. Um, this subject covers PC2 of the Part 3 criteria, which is clients, users, and delivery of services. Uh, before I dive into today's episode, I just wanted to give you a quick update that uh, Part 3 with me has its official Instagram account now. Uh, I'll provide the link in the episode notes so you can access it if you like, where um, we'll be providing um, just updates on the episodes, uh, what we'll be talking about every week, um, and any other things we might be doing on the podcast. And also in the next few months, we'll be carrying out interviews with specialists from different fields. So watch this space for those in the next few months. So let's dive into today's episode. Uh, Following on from last week's uh, episode on the plan of work, today we will be expanding further into the RIBA work stages. Uh, And as mentioned last week, these consist of eight distinct stages ranging from zero to seven. And today, as I mentioned, we'll be covering stages zero to three, which is stage zero, strategic definition, stage one, preparation and briefing, stage two, concept design, and stage three, spatial coordination. So uh, all stages have been designed and set by the RIBA to act together to inform the briefing, design, construction, handover, and use of a building, and to help anyone involved in a building project from an experienced designer through to a client undertaking their first project. So let's start with stage zero, strategic definition. So who needs to be involved at this stage? So at this stage, the client team will need to be appointed, which I expanded on in the previous episode, but the team may seek professional services or advice from external consultants to help them develop the client requirements and business case uh, they wish to achieve with the project. So the key aim and outcome from stage zero is to outline the initial strategy and viability of the project and that it will meet the client's requirements. So stage zero's core tasks are focused on making the right key decisions with the client in putting together their business case. So this involves considering the project risks, for example, uh, circumstances that may affect meeting the client's requirements and also considering uh, the budget and if deemed necessary to carry out the necessary site surveys at this stage to determine the project's viability in terms of planning in delivering the best option that meets the client's requirements. So at this stage, you may put together some high-level spatial requirements to inform the project budget. So stage zero provides the opportunity to refine and better inform the project brief and improved design and building quality that will be developed further in the next stages. Now, when it comes to specific project strategy tasks, um, this involves cost, fire strategy, health and safety, inclusive design, planning, plan for use and sustainability. Uh, These tasks should be considered even as high level at this stage. Uh, So 
This may not form part of the core tasks set out on the Workstages template, but they are additional tasks the RIBA highly advises client design and construction teams uh, consider when going through the various stages of progression of a project. So starting with cost, the client team will be preparing a rough cost estimate at this stage, which captures high level calculations of the project budget to meet the client's requirements and taking into consideration any project risks. So this might be in the form of estimated costs per square meter or by um, project type, for example, a similar residential uh, project based on previous experience and size. So this can be used uh, for the initial project budget. Then for the fire safety, although it may be very early in the process to determine this, the client team can simply consider some initial site appraisals to determine the high level fire strategy suitability of the site against the client's requirements, uh, particularly in relation to access and facilities for fire services and means of escape. Because if for any reason access to the site is very limited, then access considerations will need to be appraised um, from the very start in the next stages for the scheme to be viable, not only from a fire safety perspective, but also in terms of health and safety and inclusive design. Uh, next, when it comes to health and safety, this can be to gather existing health and safety information about the site or any existing buildings which can include the health and safety file if an existing building is present uh, to identify any significant risks to health and safety, for example, uh, any presence of asbestos. Uh, the client should also start considering their duties under the CDM regulations 2015. Uh, next is inclusive design, uh, where considerations should be undertaken to identify and set out within the project outcomes and client requirements, um, what inclusive design requirements are required at this stage. Uh, and as mentioned previously, access to the site will need to be assessed to identify any project risks which may affect the delivery of the client requirements for inclusive design. Then for planning, the client team should undertake a strategic planning appraisal for the site and its immediate and wider context so in order to identify uh, the planning policy context, any site designations, uh, site history and so on, that may bring to light potential project risks. So at this point is where some clients may seek external professional advice outside um, their team in bringing on an architect to do an initial high level assessment um, or a client advisor to determine the viability of the site in terms of planning restrictions or constraints. And looking ahead to the plan for use, the client team may explore uh, opportunities for links to other projects or programs uh, to improve efficiencies and review any implications for the scope of the client requirements and business case. So under this strategic task, the client team can review opportunities and identify project risks associated with potential future changes of use. Um, operating hours and any specific user or tenant requirements that may affect in-use performance. And lastly, looking into the sustainability strategy, the client team will need to develop high-level sustainability outcomes that will need to be defined under the client requirements 
for the design team to address when they come on board. So the client will need to assess the sustainability opportunities and constraints of the potential site and building assets, uh, also informed by previous post-occupancy evaluation feedback carried out from previous projects to improve on the new project. Now, moving on to stage one, preparation and briefing. Uh, For stage one, um, the teams that need to be involved at this stage, uh, we continue with the client team and a few external professionals, uh, which may be brought on board to advise, uh, to help develop the project brief and to put together feasibility studies to assess key project risks identified from stage zero. So although it may seem like stage one is not necessarily a design stage, but it's more about layering detail and requirements into the project brief before commencing stage two. So the selection process of the design team should commence at this stage ready for stage two. So the key aim and outcome from stage one is to outline the project brief approved by the client and confirmed that the project brief can be accommodated on the site. So stage one's core tasks are focused on refining the client requirements into the project brief, which in turn will contain guidance on the project outcomes, the sustainability outcomes and quality aspirations. So these may influence how the client design and construction teams are assembled to form the project team as part of the procurement strategy. And it may also inform core milestones in the project program. So as part of stage one, feasibility studies may be needed to determine that the spatial requirements can be accommodated on the site. And these should be purely used for illustrative purposes at this stage to assist in shaping the project brief and to inform the requirements for the stage two design process. So in preparation for stage two, a responsibilities matrix should be prepared to clarify what tasks will be assigned to each consultant and what they will be expected to deliver through the various stages. So also a project execution plan should be prepared alongside a digital execution plan to allow the design team to set out how they will produce the information. Uh, All relevant site information should also be collated in preparation for issue to the design team at stage two. Now, moving on to the specific project strategy tasks, uh, starting with cost, Um, At this stage, the client team will prepare uh, cost estimates to test the feasibility of achieving the project brief and breaking down any elements or categories identified from the feasibilities as significant cost-related project risks and consider the risk profile of potential market changes and inflation impact that may affect the cost in the long run when the scheme is developed further in the next stages. Then for the fire strategy, uh, following the initial evaluation at stage zero, the fire strategy should be developed further to inform the project brief and to include initial fire safety measures such as access and facilities for fire services and the number and location of cores. Then key project stakeholders such as building users or residents should provide relevant feedback on access requirements Uh, building use and maintenance requirements to further inform the project brief. Then using the feasibility studies, the client team will be able to confirm that the project brief can be accommodated on the site in accordance with the fire safety requirements. 
then when it comes to health and safety, the information gathered from stage zero should be used to inform the feasibility studies, which in turn will inform the initial collation, review and distribution of the pre-construction information and establish the design risk uh, management process. Uh, So the health and safety objectives should then be incorporated in the project brief and the CDM duty holders should be identified and the relevant designers and principal designer are appointed. Uh, Next is the inclusive design where project stakeholders will further inform the inclusive design needs alongside the feasibility studies and this should be included within the project brief. Then site information relevant to inclusive design, for example, a topographical survey, should be sourced and available to provide to the design team at stage two. Uh, then for planning, the next step for stage one would be to undertake a site appraisal that can be given to a planning consultant to provide some pre-design planning advice to identify any local planning policy related to any potential project risks that can then inform the feasibility studies. So the feasibility studies can then test uh, the project brief against the planning constraints and determine that the quality aspirations for the scheme are still being met and develop a planning brief incorporating the planning policy principles, the planning strategy and so on to better inform the project brief for stage two. So this assessment will also determine any requirements for an environmental impact assessment, uh, potential listed building consent, uh, requirements for either full or outline planning, and so on. And looking ahead to the plan for use, the client team would have received feedback from lessons learned on previous projects that can inform the project brief that will assist in establishing measurable targets for environmental performance, amenity and comfort. So the lessons learned from previous projects will also set out the requirements for the post-occupancy evaluation, handover and aftercare, maintenance and facilities management, taking whole life costs into consideration. And lastly, looking into the sustainability strategy, using feedback from the post-occupancy evaluation will better inform the sustainability outcomes for this scheme uh, to be set out within the project brief. Then using the feasibility studies, the sustainability outcomes can be tested and verified if they can be achieved on the site within the project budget. So also local authority sustainability requirements should be verified alongside any certification requirements. For example, um, any BREAM or requirements on um, heat pumps and so on. Now moving on to stage two, concept design. Um, So the teams that need to be involved at stage two is that the design team is officially appointed alongside any additional specialist consultants that may be required to achieve an architectural concept that is robust and aligned with the project brief. So under some procurement routes, the construction team may also be engaged um, at this stage. So the key aim and outcome from stage two is for the architectural concept to be aligned with the project brief and to be approved by the client. 
So stage two's core tasks are focused on the proposals to be aligned with the site information and project brief. Then regular design review meetings should be scheduled in to present the proposals and receive feedback from the client and any other project stakeholders involved. So during this process, any project brief derogations are agreed or the project brief is adjusted to align with those derogations. So the architectural concept should be iterated to allow input from all design team members and specialist consultants and coordinated with the project strategies. So everything should then be captured within a stage report to be signed off by the client at the end of the stage. The cost plan should also be revised regularly to reflect the architectural concept and the outline specification and that they are aligned with the project budget. So in order to move to stage three seamlessly, the proposals should demonstrate that the spatial requirements are being achieved. Everything is coordinated between all design team members and specialist consultants and that externally the building meets the vision of the client as well as the demands of the local context and environment and that the concept is in line with the client's quality aspirations. At this stage, the client may wish to seek pre-application planning advice to determine the suitability of the initial proposals with the relevant local authority. Uh, It's wise at this stage to prepare a design program to be in line with the project program and responsibilities matrix to guide the design process and to ensure the information requirements are included within the stage report. Uh, Now let's expand on to the specific project strategy tasks. Uh, Starting with cost, the client team will prepare a more formal cost plan, which takes into account the initial design parameters established by the architectural concept and strategic engineering requirements also including any significant elements of cost and initial bulk quantities of key items that are set out in the outline specification. Uh, So any cost implications arising from the architectural concept should be reviewed and checked against the project outcomes, the procurement strategy, the project uh, program and project risks, making sure the architectural concept and outline specification are aligned with the project budget. Then for fire safety, following the feedback from the key project stakeholders at stage one, the architectural concept should be developed to meet these comments and align with the fire safety strategy and the project briefing, identifying the means of escape, external fire spread and access and facilities for the fire service. So make sure a section within the stage report outlines the key fire safety decisions in the fire safety strategy. Then when it comes to health and safety, the design risk uh, management processes identified at stage one should be implemented on addressing significant and unusual foreseeable uh, health and safety hazards. And whenever possible, these should be eliminated or at least reduced and coordinate the matters in the architectural concept and outline specification aligned with the other project strategies and project brief. So following that process, the pre-construction information should then be updated to be in line with the relevant design development of the architectural concept 
and a health and safety fire should have been uh, initiated. So similarly to the fire safety, a record of key health and safety decisions should be included within the stage report. Then when it comes to the inclusive design, the site information relevant to inclusive design sourced at stage one should be used to develop the inclusive design concept and reviewed against the project brief with input from project stakeholders, uh, specialist consultants and the local authority. So the inclusive design concept should then be implemented into the architectural concept, the outline specification and strategic engineering requirements. Then when it comes to planning, the pre-application advice would have been obtained during stage two, outlining the suitability for the initial proposal. So the proposal should then be presented to the project stakeholders and use design reviews to seek comments on the architectural concept proposals in terms of scale, complexity and sensitivity to the local context and environment. The architectural concept should then be adapted to accommodate input from specialist consultants, for example, transport, ecologists um, and so on and draft uh, an initial design and access statement and assess any possible Section 106 contributions and community infrastructure levy requirements. And looking ahead to the plan for use, um, you should seek feedback from project stakeholders to gather further lessons learned and produce a record of performance risks. This will assist in finalising the post-occupancy evaluation, handover and aftercare. And then you can review the architectural concept against the end user, operation and maintenance building performance requirements and whole life costs. Uh, Alight this strategy with a sustainability strategy, the cost plan, metering, site waste and other project strategies and confirm that um, the facilities management plans are in place and appropriate to the project. And lastly, looking into the sustainability strategy, uh, incorporate lessons learned from the post-occupancy evaluation feedback received during stage one and review precedents when developing the architectural concept. So consider benchmarking uh, any quality assurance requirements in initial design work and then carry out energy and other modeling to test and refine the architectural concept, the sustainability strategy and delivery of the sustainability outcomes and include these uh, within the stage report. And now moving on to the final stage for today's episode, stage three, uh, spatial coordination. The team that needs to be involved at this stage is the design team is the key protagonist. The client team are also involved where stage three coordination requires client decisions. Uh, The construction team may also be involved at this stage um, if the selected procurement route requires early contractor or specialist subcontractor input. So the key aim and outcome for stage three is for uh, the architectural concept to be tested and validated in order to confirm that the architectural and engineering information prepared at stage two is specially coordinated before the detailed information required to structure and construct is produced for stage four. 
So the architectural concept is ratified during stage three. Uh, and to add further detail. So the key thing to remember is that at stage three, the architectural concept shouldn't necessarily be altered. So the aim of stage three is to provide further detailed design and information that have resulted in the coordination between the design and engineering process. If for any reason changes are required to the architectural concept at stage three, this should be agreed through the change control procedure. So design iterations may be required to ensure the cost plan aligns with the project budget. So a specially coordinated design allows each designer to finalize their information um, at stage three without major iterations of the design. Uh, the project strategies will therefore need to be uh, updated and additional information added and reviewed against the building regulations. So at the end of stage three, the stage report should be approved and signed off by the client, allowing for a planning application to be submitted. Uh, something to be highlighted here is that sometimes you may notice that some projects are submitted at stage two. If this is the case, a mid-stage gateway should be set out to focus on the tasks necessary to ensure that all the information required for the application is undertaken and achieved and that the design is robust enough for development once planning consent is granted. Another scenario you may have come across is that the employee's requirements are issued at the end of stage three instead of four, which may result in some elements of design to be uh, drawn to a high level of detail with additional schedules and specifications to help remove risks from the procurement process and set the quality aspirations. So let's expand on the specific project strategy tasks, starting with cost. Uh, so for this stage, the cost consultant would carry out uh, a few cost exercises to allow more detailed aspects of the design project strategies and outline specification to be tested using the design studies and by involving uh, suppliers or specialist subcontractors to determine affordability and checking them against the project outcome. So this in return will feed into the cost plan, increasing the levels of cost certainty to meet the project budget. Then for the fire strategy, Further design studies and engineering analysis uh, should be undertaken with input from end users, facilities managers, and so on to refine and integrate the fire safety strategy and measures into the specially coordinated design. So a review should then be undertaken against part B, part A, part M, and regulation seven of the building regulations to determine compliance with input from the building control body and fire rescue authority. So any identified risks from fire safety should be recorded and any deviation from the fire safety strategy should be uh, also included within the stage report. Then input and responsibilities from specialist subcontractors should be established to inform the procurement strategy. Now, when it comes to health and safety, Similarly to the fire safety, further design studies and engineering analysis should be undertaken to eliminate 
or reduce residual risks to health and safety. And the design risk management consideration first established from stage one should be adapted and integrated into the specially coordinated design. Also recording any control measures within the pre-construction information in line with the relevant design development. So this information should also be included within the stage report and input and responsibilities from specialist subcontractors should be established to inform the procurement strategy. Now, when it comes to the inclusive design aspect, the specially coordinated design should be reviewed against part M of the building regulations and the Equality Act. And further design studies and engineering analysis should then be undertaken to test uh, and develop the inclusive design requirements in more detail with input from project stakeholders. Then identify and record any project risks from the additional analysis and feedback and mitigate any deviation from the inclusive design strategy and include it within the stage report. And as part of the planning submission, prepare the design and access statement. Then when it comes to planning, following the pre-application advice received at stage two, if applicable, you can integrate uh, any advice received into the specially coordinated design and also undertake a review of the design against the building regulations. Then prepare the necessary supporting planning documents, for example, an environmental impact assessment, a heritage statement and so on to support the planning application. But before you submit, first you must establish likely uh, planning conditions, including any pre-commencement and post-completion planning conditions and confirm any Section 106 contributions and community infrastructure levy requirements to accompany the application. Then you can proceed to submit the planning application once the specially coordinated design is sufficiently developed with only minor iterations required once planning consent is achieved. And then looking ahead for the plan for use, develop further design studies and engineering analysis to test the building performance requirements and conclude the design reviews with input from end users, facilities managers, design consultants and so on to ratify the design from an end user perspective. The building performance requirements should then in return be integrated into the specially coordinated design uh, and to be aligned with the project stakeholder consultations and feedback. So the post-occupancy evaluation handover and aftercare should be included in the procurement strategy and updated to inform the stage four tasks and deliverables. And lastly, looking into the sustainability strategy, following the lessons learned and building performance requirements established by the plan for use strategy, the design studies and engineering analysis should be undertaken to also test the sustainability outcomes and integrated into the specially coordinated design with the sustainability outcomes outlined within the stage report, identifying any performance risks to inform stage four tasks and deliverables to mitigate any deviation from the sustainability outcomes.
So to sum up what I discussed today, all stages have been developed to act together to inform the briefing, the design, construction, handover and use of a building. Stage zero is about determining the best means of achieving the client's requirements and defining their business case. So it's important at this stage that the client's requirements are aligned with the project budget to identify from the very beginning if a project is viable or not. So at stage zero, you typically only have the client team with some external consultants brought on board to advise and help shape the client's requirements. Then at stage one is about developing the detail of the brief and making sure that everything needed for the design process is in place before stage two. This includes ensuring that the brief can be accommodated on the site through a series of feasibility studies. And at stage one, again, you typically only have the client team with some external consultants brought on board, such as an architect or client advisor to carry out the feasibility studies. Then stage two is about getting the design concept right and making sure that the look and feel of the building is proceeding in line with the client's vision, brief and budget. The key challenge of this stage is to make sure that the tasks are undertaken uh, meet the stage objectives. Going into too much detail too early can pivot the design team's efforts away from setting the best strategy for the project. But if there is too little detail, stage three becomes inefficient. So the architectural concept should be signed off at this stage along with a project brief. So you can also potentially submit planning application from this stage if this is the case, a mid-stage gateway should be set out to focus on the tasks necessary to ensure that all the information required for the application is undertaken and achieved and that the design is robust enough for development once planning consent is granted. And the, this is when the design team comes on board alongside the client team. Then at stage three is to spatially coordinate the design before the focus turns to preparing the detailed information required for manufacturing and constructing the building. So the information at the end of this stage needs to be coordinated sufficiently to avoid all but the most minor of iterations at stage four and to make sure that the planning application is based on the best possible information. Uh, and at this stage, the key protagonist is the design team with the client team being present for key decisions. And lastly, to make sure you have considered everything for each stage, you should consider looking into the RABA checklists on the RABA website provided for free, uh, which are a very useful tool in making sure you do the required tasks for each stage. So check the link in the episode notes to access these. Stay tuned for next week's episode where I will be expanding into the RABA work stages four to seven. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me time.